Happy Mother's Day to all you moms that are here with us today. Uh, I want to, you know, we kind of have a tradition, something that we do uh, here uh, each year in regard to Mother's Day. But before we do that, I just want to say that, you know, I understand, I think we, I should say we understand that depending on your personal experience, um, this day can be one of like extreme joy for you if you're a mom or you had a mom that was awesome. Uh, Or it can be a day of difficulty, just to be honest. And so... I feel like as a church and especially as a community, those are the kinds of things that we need to always be thinking about and um, realizing that our community is made up of lots of people with lots of different experiences. And so if you're a mother here today who's lost a child or uh, for those of you that are here today that has lost a mom, uh, I just want to say that we mourn with you. And for those that might have strained mother relationships or mothers with strained child relationships, let me just say that we sit and we wait with you. And for those who are here today who've either chosen not to be mothers or those yearning to be mothers, I just want to say that we walk with you. And then for all who are here today uh, who are moms or foster moms or adoptive moms or mentors or moms by proxy because you live next door to a kid that won't keep coming to your, stop keep coming into your house, right? Let me just say that we need you and we celebrate you today too. So what I'd like to do, I'm going to ask that... uh, If you are a child with a mom in this room and you're hopefully near them, uh, we're going to pray over those moms. If you're a husband, I would like you to to get near your wife if you can. Um, But I would also like to honor all of the women that are here today. And so if you see somebody that's kind of parked by themselves or someone you don't know, we're going to make just some little clusters of family. And I just want to pray a blessing over uh, all of you women. So if you're comfortable with that, so if you're a guest and you're not comfortable, just do this and they'll know to stay away from you. Um, (laughs) But uh, I'm going to go over here because... uh, Two of the most important mothers in my life are right here, my mom and my wife, Valerie. So if you guys would bow your hearts with me and just want to put your hands on somebody near you, if it's appropriate, of course. God, I thank you so much uh, for the mothers uh, that are in our midst. And in the past, we've made them stand, but I think it's almost a bigger sign of respect to allow them to sit um, and just uh, be honored this day. Uh, I'm so thankful, God. just for all the moms that you've placed in my life. Amazing women, God, that aren't perfect, but they show your heart and they show your character. At times when no one else in the house does. (laughs) And we just love you for the special place that our moms have uh, in our lives and our hearts, God, so... I pray for all of the mother-child relationships represented in this room, whether they're glorious and wonderful or whether they haven't been so great, God, because we know that you can restore and you can heal. And so that's my prayer today. But I pray uh, most of all that these moms will be honored and know how much we love them. And we pray this in your name. Amen. So now that we've gotten Oliver crying out of the way, kids, you're dismissed. Oh, my goodness. Let me just say, this isn't how I planned on starting things, at least the crying part of it. I'm thankful uh, for the moms represented in this room, and I've had the pleasure of walking through life with many of you for a long, long time, and many of you have um, 
mothered my children in many ways, and so I'm very thankful. And I've charged the ones that are here today that they have to go around and thank you individually afterwards, so be ready for that. <laughs> um, so I think it's appropriate today. You know, we've started our series on Bible stories, and we've kind of at least began, we touched on the creation story last week. Uh, I think it's appropriate that we are going to talk about... Um, Moms, we're going to celebrate the people who are very central in our individual creation, so to speak, right? Our mothers. Uh, without them, we would not be here, and that's the truth. So um, we're going to look at this, and it's this period of time where humans arrive on the scene, and we see that Eve, who is the mother of all mothers, according to Scripture, uh, is this compelling figure in human history. And so we're going to take a look at that. And this isn't just true because Eve was a mother, but also because how you have one single life who changed everything. And what I want to charge you with, you know, and you might be thinking, oh, great, this is a Mother's Day sermon. I'm not a mom. What am I going to get out of this? Listen, this is for everybody today because what the story tells us is it tells us that we have this potential, each person, that we have the potential to really change things um, just as a person, we may be overwhelmed with life. We may think there's no way that I can make a difference in this world. Let me tell you, scripture says otherwise. Every person is created by God for a reason and for a purpose, and he uses each of us in that. And so we're going to look at this part of human history as God finishes his work on establishing the heavens and the earth. And of course, he rests on the seventh day, the Sabbath day. So let's start in Genesis 2, verses 7 through 9. And then the Lord formed the man of dust from the ground. And breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. A living creature. And then, next thing. The Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. And there he put the man whom he'd formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, one thing I want to point out, and I kind of touched on this last week, but the Torah, right, that this comes from, the first part of the Bible that we have, those first five books, they're known as the Torah, it's not particularly interested in overanalyzing the origin of our species, right? It's not going into a lot of scientific detail, and here's why, because that's not the point. From the Bible's perspective, human life is a miracle from God. That's what we need to know when we read this. The creation of human beings was a deliberate act by God. He chose to do this. And he did this because it gives human life dignity and purpose. So that's uh, what this is about. But as an artist, those that don't know, I'm an artist. And as an artist, I love the imagery here. I love what's happening. You have the creator of the universe, right? And up to this point, he's spoken. And things are happening, right? Stars, and there's stars. Planets, and there's planets, right? And of course, I'm paraphrasing there. But you have these moments where he's speaking all these things into existence. And then all of a sudden, we find him getting his hands dirty. Have you ever thought about that? He starts digging into the earth and pulling out clay and he separates a portion of this earth to work with. And if you remember last week, we said that when God separates things, he does so to bring them purpose and definition, right? And I just imagine him just working on this thing with this huge smile on his face. And if you've ever been around an artist or a musician who's just like in the middle of that thing that they do, you know that that will sometimes happen. They're lost. Everything else is going on. They're just like, oh, this is going mean, to be so good. 
He's working this into shape with this huge smile on his face. And if you've ever watched an artist that works on something large, and so what I kind of imagine, again, this is just my imagination, but, you know, we don't know how big God is or what he looks like or any of those things, but I imagine him kind of coming down and getting man-sized so that he can, like, just sit here. and Like, he's just working on this thing, like, with so much physicality, just, like, pushing clay and pulling clay and shaping and forming arms, and he's got all of this stuff going on. It's like this physical thing. He's getting his hands dirty. He is involved. But there's also this intricacy to the work too, right? I mean, we know our systems and our cells and all of the stuff that ends up happening with our bodies that's amazing that even scientists don't fully understand. The artist has no choice but to get in close and work. Sure, I think he could have spoken. He could have had us grown up out of the ground like plants or something weird, right? Which would really change the uh, birth coaching doula midwife game, wouldn't it? He has no choice but to get in close and to work. And I love this idea of God's closeness from the very beginning as our introduction to the story. That's beautiful. And here's the thing. That was always his desire. Always. From the very beginning, that closeness. So God forms the shape of this man and he names him Adam. And Adam uh, means man. But what's interesting is it actually comes from the same Hebrew word, the root of it. Same word as ground. So you could say that Adam is the very first earthling. He is. He's from the earth. He's an earthling. Have you ever considered that? That blew my mind this week when I read that. I was like, oh, that's not actually like a science fiction reference. That's like real. We're earthlings. We're from the earth. We're made from the ground. And so God forms this man, but his work is not complete. At this point, his sculpture, it's exquisite. It's amazing. But yet, it lacks something. It lacks the spark. And so, Scripture tells us that God breathes into the nostrils of this man, which is a weird thing to think about if you think. I mean, if you just put your brain to that. Like, God breathes into the nostrils of this man and filling his lungs, and all of a sudden, the earthling is alive! It's alive, right? There was no one there to yell that. I imagine the animals... Might have gotten a little excited about that, the ones that were around. But you have this moment where God breathes life into this man. And the Hebrew word that's used here is neshama, which is also the word that's commonly used for soul. And I think that that's significant as well. Man became a living being only when God breathed the living soul into him. Every one of us, every person in this room, anyone that can hear my voice, you possess a soul. It's yours. It's a portion of God's own breath. It's a portion of who he is. It's that spark that animates us. And so Genesis 1.27 states that God created men and women in his image or likeness. And so I've always wondered, what exactly does that mean? And I've talked about it before, some of the things that I think about it. But people are made in the image of God. Let's just say if we get down to brass tacks, they're made in the image of God as thinking, reasoning creatures. In other words, we have a free will. Uh, We have self-determination. We can make choices that impact our lives. Some people will debate about the nature and the scope of our free will, and that's not really the purpose of what I'm talking about today. But I believe that it is the key. It is the key, bless you, the key to our relationship with God and the nature of what that looks like. As humans, right, he gave us free agency. 
doesn't mean we can go sign a contract with anyone we want to. What it means is that we can choose. We have this opportunity to choose, but it also means that we have within us, within our purpose, our mission, moral obligation to him. So when God created man, he wanted to create a real being. He wanted to create someone that was like himself, but part of his created physical world. And so since we're kind of on the subject and we're talking about all these artsy things, imagine it this way. Imagine that uh, you are a creator and you're painting a painting much like our friend Jim up here. And you're painting this scene, it's this pastoral scene and it's amazing and you've got clouds and trees and fields and deer like down by a little stream. But then you as the creator, you're not satisfied. You're like, okay, that's really cool, but I want to be, I want to live here. Like, I want to be a part of this. And so you take the same elements that you have, the paints, the mediums, if you're painting in oils, your turpentine and glazing medium. You pick out the brushes that you want. Oh, this is going to be great for fine detail. And you start to flesh out yourself as a part of this scene. In a sense, that's what God is doing when he places man and woman in this creation. He's taking a part of himself and he's representing it in the elements that he has available. It's really, really amazing to me. So there's this real being. And we have a job, right? We have a job and it's uh, on earth to cultivate the godly side of our nature and integrate it into the earthly side of our nature, the physical part of who we are. Our job is to, guys, reveal heaven on earth. And so as creatures containing elements of both heaven and earth, this is amazing to me, we're perfectly suited for this job. God places both of these things in us so that we could accomplish that mission. Verse eight says that God plants a garden in Eden, and Eden means delight. He provides everything that his earthling will need. And then verse 15 says, he places him in the garden to work it and keep it. Just to point out here, work precedes the fall, right? We've perhaps heard people in our lives say that, oh, well, you know, working is the curse. And while your job may feel that way at times, truth be told, there's an aspect to our work. God gave it to us before any of those things happened. So there's a part of that that's right and it's holy. Work can be a place where we serve God as well as make a living. So all this happens and God lays down one rule, right? Just one rule. Most of us probably know what it is. You can eat whatever you want here. The, the, the buffet is open, dude. Listen, if it looks good, go for it. Jam down. Bananas, they're yours. Pomegranates, get on it, right? However, there's only one thing you can't do. You can't eat from this tree, this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And if you do, you will surely die. Again, note God does not prohibit eating from the other vegetation in the garden, and that includes the tree of life, which is interesting to think about. But what that tells me is that God made us for eternity from the very beginning. His goal was this eternal, forever, intimate relationship with us. And so he's always made a pathway to it for us. Fast forward to verse 18. Then the Lord God said, it's not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast in the field. I grew up, for those that don't know, in the thriving metropolis of Claycomo, Missouri, it's really only known for two or three things. 
the first thing is the Ford plant's there. The second thing is El Sombrero is there. And the third thing is you don't want to speed if you're driving through there. That's pretty much it. Um, I can say that because I lived there. It's my hood. I grew up there, okay? But there was this place. Uh, I, there was a grade school that I went to for three years up till third grade, and then it got closed down. It was Oak Ridge. But uh, back in that day, it was the 70s, and so you could walk places as a child. And it was fine. So we would walk to school, and there was a walk bridge there. And right there next to the school stood this place called Wanda's Workshop. How many of you are familiar? I'm just curious with Wanda's Workshop. Okay. This place was fascinating to me. It was a statuary. So you would go in there, and she, would, she he, all the people that worked there, would make these concrete statues kind of like that, like for your yard. But they would actually make them right there in the shop. And so they had all these forms and all these different things that were there, uh, planters, you know. And so especially in the summer, we'd run down to the liquor store. Don't tell anyone. We'd go inside. We'd buy a Coke. And then we would just kind of roam. And often we would end up here just walking through the rows and the rows and the rows and the rows of raccoons and turtles and birds and gnomes, Right? I loved it as a kid. They're all like lining up, just waiting for someone to claim them and bring them home. That's kind of how I imagine this scene. As all of the animals line up in the wedding reception line, right, to meet Adam. And he's like, hmm, I'm going to call you Kyle. No, he says, you're a bird. Uh, you're a pelican. That's what you are. And I just, I, I've spent a lot of time in my life thinking about how that all went down. And I won't bore you with the details of my mind. But let me just say, it's very elaborate, okay? Like, I imagine all of the ways that these names came about and stuff. And it's just fascinating to me. I just imagine this wonderful thing. God's making these creatures in the same way as Adam, it says. He forms them from the ground. You've got all this parade of animals lining up to meet the new guy in town, the earthling. And Adam calls names, which echoes God calling out things in creation. Very interesting. Same language is used there. So that tells me that there's that responsibility that's coming back to the forefront. Our responsibility as human beings is to order God's creation. Naming something involves asserting authority in some ways, but then you also have this echo of all these things that we've seen God himself doing so far, right? Remember, he's carving space and time and all these things from each other. He names the celestials, heaven, earth, seas, darkness, day, night, and then humanity orders the terrestrials by naming the animals, which is fulfilling that command that he gave us in Genesis 1.28 to rule over every living creature. But in all of this naming, and I, how many days did that take? Right? You ever think about that? I have. Uh, raccoon. Yeah, you look like a raccoon to me trash panda was taken apparently I don't know anyway <laughs> all this naming over and over and over again this parade of animals do, 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 coming by and all this is happening and in this process like we just blow through these verses like all of it happened but in this process there's this realization it's like none of these creatures fits with this dude here none of these creatures are like him and so we go on to verse 20b. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So 
the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed it up in its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and they were not ashamed. Try that on your next camping trip. So, (laughs) in this moment, God realizes, listen, this is not, this isn't good. It's really weird because we have all this, this is good, this is good, this is good, this is good. This is not good. It's odd to think about that, right? The earthlings alone, he doesn't have a helper that's fit for him. He doesn't have... uh, a connection with someone like him. But what I love about this, even the way that it's talked about, it denotes this craftsmanship and this design that's specific to the task. It's not like God is squishing mud together this time. He actually takes a part. And there's all kinds of interesting symbolism that we could talk about there. But what I want to talk about today is that this connotes community and belonging and togetherness with our likenesses and our differences. And so there's one thing that I want to comment on here. You know, we have all these traditions within, uh, let's just say, our world, especially ones that came after the Hebrew Bible and then this long history of Western scholarship. And I believe that some of these traditions, ladies and gentlemen, have done us a disservice. And so there's one that I just want to address very quickly, and and it's this. Oftentimes we have uh, people who will describe the creation of the woman here in Genesis 2 as secondary. Uh, incorrectly, I would say, suggesting that God, because God formed her from man in this narrative, that she is derivative or she is lesser. I think sometimes I've even heard blaming her for letting loose sin in the world or uh, death and maybe even characterizing her as gullible or like an unworthy partner or something. I just want to say that I believe that this is not only wrong, but ridiculous. Uh, even the suggestion that her biological function that she's built with to actually have children and to bear them suggests that this is some sort of confirmation of her fall in the story. And so now it's a punishment that's shared by all women for all time thing. I just want to say that none of these things are true. I believe that this is a grave misunderstanding of scripture, namely the place that men and women share in the crowning achievement of God's creation. We represent him together. And I wanna show you what I mean by that. God clearly found Adam to be incomplete because he was alone. And listen, that's not a dig on being single. It's an encouragement that both men and women are needed to fulfill God's plan for creation. further creation was necessary to make humanity whole. In some ways, I believe that this represents just how big our God is because it took two people to fully represent his image in this world, which is amazing to me. And so that further creation, of course, was beautifully completed in the creation of Eve. God sees that animals have a partner, but Adam has none. And so the Lord creates woman, his complement as a sustainer behind, beside him. And she's named Chava in Hebrew, which would be Eve, we call her. 
And it means mother of the living. Not mother of dragons, mother of the living. If you got that joke, you're a bad person. I'm just kidding. God designs her uniquely. I'm just full of it today, aren't I? My mama's here. Um, God designs her uniquely to be the source of future creation of people. Ladies, like this is where we pass out the high fives. Seriously. You're designed to be source, future creation of people. It's pretty awesome. Genesis 1, 26 through 31 is also clear about just a couple of other things. Both man and woman are created uniquely in God's image. They're crafted. They're designed intentionally with similarities, but also with differences. Uh, They're blessed by God, verse 28 says, both of them, right? And then he encourages them to make more earthlings. It's okay, you can laugh at that. And perhaps one of the most critical points, God gives them dominion over all the earth. And so what that means, because I've heard this played out a lot of different ways. Dominion simply means to rule or like to uh, shepherd a kingdom. And so the idea here is that these earthlings would establish their own kingdom. That's why they're given free will. They're given the ability to make choices. God's like, listen, I want you to make choices on how you're going to manage all of these things that I'm placing in your care. But his goal is also that that kingdom that they're going to create would always align with his kingdom. He wants them to have their choices and their dominion, but he wants it to be within his kingdom. But he gives them the ability to make the choice. They can actually choose. His hope is that they're going to care for creation and that forever they will choose to align their dominion with him. It was not good when Adam was alone, but once they're together and they're given their responsibilities, God declares it what? Good. It's in that moment. Read it. It's in that moment that God says, okay, now, now it's good. So now we have Eden, population two, right? (laughs) Guys, the whole population of the whole world is made up of naked vegetarians, who can coexist throughout eternity in service to and in companionship with God. The end, let's pray. I wish, right? (laughs) We're not sure how long all of this lasted, you know, because of course the narrative just zooms right to the next thing. I don't know. Was it days, months, years? All we know is that it involves a talking snake, which just admittedly is really weird. Okay? There's a talking snake. Scripture is not specific about who or exactly what the snake is. What we do know about the snake is that it has some sort of a spiritual evil implication. And so this snake approaches Eve. It deceives her into eating from the tree. Eve also gives some fruit to Adam. They both have a snack. Scripture states, Adam, who was with her, also eats. And I think it's important for us to see that because we've often thought of this conversation with Eve and this serpent as like maybe this thing that's separate And then she's like, oh, hey, Adam, try this, right? What is it about our wives, gentlemen, that they want us to taste or try something that's awful that they've just tasted or tried? (laughs) This tastes bad. Here, taste it. What? No. (laughs) Get that yogurt away from me. Like, what? What's up with that? No, that's not what's happening here. It says, who was with her? That tells me that he was around. He was observing. 
trying to create a remote control for a television that didn't exist yet. I don't know what was going on. All I know is that something's up here and and what it means, what I think we need to take away from this is that each of us is responsible for our individual choice to either follow or reject God. Man, woman, doesn't matter. It's a responsibility that we all have. And in that moment, everything changes and a new kind of separation enters the world and it's not a good one because it's the earthlings separating themselves from God in this moment. And so they cover themselves and they run away and they hide and then God comes strolling along in the garden. Hey guys, where are you at? What's going on? I don't know if he talked like that. I don't. But I imagine he was happy, right? He's gonna go hang out with his people. Where are you guys at? He comes strolling, looking for them. Remember, the story, the Bible, is about God. And it's about God's desire for relationship and fellowship with his creation. And so he's looking for them, and it sets up this tragedy of this heartbreaking moment when God enters the garden seeking fellowship, and he finds heartbreak. God empowered these people, his people, with the task of making a kingdom nestled within the ability to choose And the people chose their way instead of his. And so this is when that gift of eternal life that we talked about related to that tree was first forfeited by humanity. Not just Eve, not just by Adam, but by all of humanity. And so we like to point the finger, you know, with our modern sensibilities. It's like, you know, I would have never done that. I'm much too sophisticated to be tricked by a snake. I don't even like fruit. (laughs) Truth be told, guys, we are all imperfect. All have sinned, right? And come short of the glory of God. And any one of us would have made the same choice. It may have been eating from the steak tree for some of you or whatever, but we would have all made that choice. And so God immediately acts and he curses the serpent, but he immediately offers the cure as well. Not the band lily. I'm talking about the cure for what was wrong here. Genesis 3.15 says, I will put hostility between you and the woman, speaking to the serpent, and between your offspring and her offspring. But here's the cure. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. The serpent mentioned here isn't a member of the animal kingdom per se. This is a spiritual enemy. And future generations of people will be at war with this serpent and all who follow its ways. And so this is foreshadowing because what's promised here is Messiah. This is the first glimpse that we get other than uh, when John in his gospel points back to creation and how Messiah was present in that. This is the first glimpse that we get of Messiah on the scene in the Torah. And so as a result of these things, labor intensifies for the woman in childbearing and for the man as he now labors in pain to work the ground that he came from until he returns to it. Adonai creates garments to clothe him from the skins of some animal. And perhaps this is further symbolism that Adam and Eve in that moment are covered by a sacrifice. What it must have been like for God. And again, I know some people are uncomfortable with us projecting emotions, you know, onto the supreme creator of the universe. But we do see this pop up throughout scripture where maybe God's angry about something 
or he shows compassion. We have this moment where I just wonder what this would have been like for him to pour his heart and his soul into making something so special and so beautiful as these earthlings. All the hopes that you had for them, generously giving them everything that they would need, but not only that, setting them up with purpose and with pleasure. Only to watch is in this moment they throw those things away. But I would suggest if you're a parent in this room, a mom in this room today, you might know how that feels sometimes. But here's the thing. This is still God's story. And we know that all creation emanated. And emanated simply means, it's almost like it's involuntary. It's like you're so full of whatever it is that you're full of that it emanates, like our sun emanates. I mean, sure, there's all kinds of gases and stuff that are involved, but the sun doesn't like work to shine. It just happens. It's a result of what the sun is. And the same thing is true for God. God is love and he is kindness and he is compassion. And creation is just emanating from that goodness. Like he can't help but make stuff because he's got so much to give. It's this overflowing of vitality and wonder and love. And so mercifully in this moment, God does something that doesn't seem so merciful. He sends them out of the garden and he prevents them from returning. Why this is merciful is because God's wrath, his justice for disobedience might well have been destruction, but God is not only just, he loves. He still loves his creation. And as I mentioned earlier, in the garden, there's this other tree that offers eternal life. And in his mercy, I believe that God sent them away from that tree because that could have been an existence apart from him. So if there was going to be a path to eternal life with God, he was going to have to provide it outside the garden. And the good news, literally, is this. Even as these events are unfolding, God already has other plans to rescue them, to rescue us, and to bring us back into relationship with him. And so Genesis 3 finds Adam and Eve getting busy, like figuratively and literally, okay? Um, Yes, I just said that. The mother of all living has two sons. We've probably heard about these guys, Cain and Abel. And I imagine like the joy and the wonder. I mean, this has never happened before. Like talk about new parents. What do I do? I don't know. I've never seen one of these before, right? Imagine that whole childbirth thing and how trippy that would have been. Whoa! But imagine like the joy and the wonder that must have accompanied these boys, the first children to come from earthlings and walk the earth, although probably a little bit like this at first. We don't have anything recorded about those early years. But these guys were truly writing the book on parenting. And so I imagine they were simultaneously delighted and then terrified as well. And those early days must have been difficult. And if you've had kids, especially moms in the room, you know that the early days can be difficult, right? Not to slight you dads, but this isn't your day. It's one thing to be encouraged to be fruitful and multiply. But it's a whole other of what do I do with these children now that they're here? And so um, you have this 
thing in Genesis chapter 3 where we learn that Cain and Abel are at odds. They have words with each other. And Abel ends up being killed by Cain. And Cain is sent away into exile. And I know I'm skimming past the story really quickly here. But since we're talking about moms, what I want to think about is this. What would that have been like for Eve? To not only lose one son, but to lose two sons to sin. How would have Adam felt? I don't think you have to be a mother or a parent to relate to what this would have felt like in this moment where all of a sudden, because of of a choice, one of my sons is gone and then the other has to leave. Investing your time and your effort into someone that you care about. Enduring all the difficulties and, and the sacrifices to give your best. I mean, the work is hard, right? But it's a labor of love. I mean, that's why God makes babies cute. Because if they weren't, <laughs> 2 a.m. would not be very much fun. So, You have this moment where you've invested so much only to have the rug pulled out from under you. And again, we don't know how long or how old these guys were. But for us, whether you're a mom or a dad or not in this room, maybe you experience this feeling too. If if you are a parent, maybe your child at times doesn't want to have anything to do with you. Or maybe if you're a child, your parent has written you off. Or maybe if you're married in this room, your spouse has called it quits or you've had a friend that's betrayed you or you've been fired for your job or your work or your investment of time and something is rejected by someone. We've all felt those ways, I think, at times and I think we can relate to this. And so you have to remember that again, Adam and Eve both were created in the image of God. And so with the loss of both Cain and Abel, there's this ironic plot twist where Adam and Eve lose their two sons to sin and they experience the exact same thing that Adam and I did when he lost his first two earthlings and they chose their way instead of his. I think it's the same thing that God experiences anytime his children choose to turn away from him. Sin always interrupts relationship with destruction. Always. So as I've said, the purpose of the Bible is to tell us God's story. So what do, what do we get from this? What does he want to say to us today with all of this? Frankly, I think it's what we talked about last week, right? God with us is still the plan. Because of his love and his mercy, God with us is still what he wants. You would think with God's desire for a relationship with us, which he expresses in so many ways, and our desire hopefully to draw closer to him, that all of it would be easy, right? Well, what's the problem, right? God loves us and wants to be close to us, and and we want to grow closer to God. Like, what's the deal? But the truth is, all of us live in this tension, right? We're created for this relationship with the Father, but we struggle with our own selfishness. But there's more good news. Because even when we reject God's path to eternal life, like Adam and Eve did in the garden, I believe that he's always ready with another opportunity for us. His compassion 
for us is endless. And we find this opportunity in Jesus Christ or Yeshua, our Messiah. So my encouragement to you today is no matter where you're at, no matter how you're feeling, no matter uh, if you feel like, man, I've made so many mistakes in my life that I could never come back for those, or I've chosen this path and I am deeply embroiled in it and and I can't reverse these things. We must not allow ourselves to be lost in our sin or, or resign to defeat because we serve a God who gives chances, second and third and fourth and 54th and 194th chances. We always have hope to be found in the love of a parent for his creation. And if there's anything I know about good moms, and I'm surrounded by them right now, is that they always seem to hold out hope for their kids. Like even when you speak to a mother and maybe she's estranged from her child or something's happened, there's still this hope Dads, we just write everybody off. Okay, I'm done with this. <laughs> just kidding. But mothers, there's something special. And moms do not give up on their kids. No matter what choices they make. And so just like Eve as a mother must have continued to hope for Cain even after his terrible sin. I believe, because remember, Adam and Eve both reflect an element of who God is. I believe that God's always holding out hope for us and waiting for us to reach out and seize upon the gift that he's given us through Jesus, our Messiah. So my encouragement to you today is to grab a hold of it. If you're in a place today where you're struggling, God waits for you with open arms. You might be close to him right now, you might be far from him, but he's waiting. Would you bow your hearts with me? God, we love you so much. And I thank you, um, again, just for our moms and uh, the unique gifts that you placed in them, the hope that they hold out for us, the way that they love us, the way that um, they take care of us, the way they notice things, God. And again, I know I'm talking about the good experiences that we've had for those of us that have had the privilege of growing up with a mom who was involved in our lives and loved us and cared for us. But God, when that is good and it's what it's supposed to be, it's this beautiful reflection of your compassion and your nurturing love. God, I also believe that that's something that we don't have to be moms to have, that even us as men or people who've never experienced having a child can still reflect your love and your care for others. So Father, my prayer today is that you bless these moms, but that you bless everyone that's in this room, that you would walk with them as they leave this place and they go to whatever their life throws at them, whether it starts today or tomorrow. I just pray for your peace. I pray for those of us that feel like we have to try so hard sometimes that we just be able to take a deep breath and relax. And relax in you and trusting you. God, for those of us that you might be calling to today in a new or a different way, I just, I pray that we would hear you and that we would run to you. 
not worried about cleaning up or getting everything together, but just coming to you like, a, like the dirty kids we are and allowing you to take care of us and to clean us up and speak those words of life to us that you're so good at doing. We thank you again, God, that you not only spoke life into existence, but you continue to speak life into us. And I pray that for each person that's here. Go with everybody today and bless these moms, God. We love you and we thank you and it's in your name. Amen.